Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. This is the majestic prayer that the Apostle Paul prays at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to suggest this morning that this is the kind of prayer that you could live on, that you could build your life on. You might remember that Bon Jovi song from the 80s called Living on a Prayer. Well, it might be strange, but this is the kind of prayer that I always think about when I hear that song. And I don't think that, well, I doubt that John Bon Jovi had this kind of prayer in mind when he was singing about Tommy working on the docks, and Gina working in the diner all day, but this is what comes to my mind. Big prayers like this one from Ephesians chapter 3. Now we all have little phrases that we cling to at different times to give us direction or comfort or inspiration when we need it. You know these kinds of phrases. Things like, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Great minds think alike. The early bird gets the worm. But the trouble with these kinds of sayings is that they're too trite to really be taken seriously. Sometimes the result of absence isn't fondness, it's forgetfulness. Out of sight, out of mind. And when a group of people all think the same thing, it might not be because they have great minds, It might be because they're all drinking the same Kool-Aid and nobody has any original thoughts. And the early bird might get the worm, but it's the second mouse who gets the cheese. So we all know when push comes to shove that we can't live our lives based on little phrases. We need something bigger, something sturdier, something more durable. We can't live our lives on little phrases, but we can live our lives on big prayers. This morning we're looking at this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, and then tonight we'll be looking at another prayer in Philippians chapter 1, so I hope that you'll join us again tonight for that. But the first thing that I want you to see about this prayer in Ephesians 3 is that it comes like a spontaneous eruption. When I think of all this, I can't help but fall to my knees and pray. He wasn't planning on praying this prayer right here in the letter, but he couldn't hold it back any longer. I went to a Braves game a few weeks ago with some Palmetto people. Kenneth Grace, Mark Grace, and Robert Smith. The Braves were up by a run, then they were tied. Then they were down by a run, then they were tied. And the innings went by. Still tied. At that point in the season, they'd already won nine games in a row and the winning streak was on the line. But then in the eighth inning, something happened. First pitch swing, driven deep left field, track, ball, goodbye! Nice call. Here. 
didn't even know each other were giving high fives all around us. And it wasn't a calculated response. Can you imagine one of those guys sitting there in the sixth inning? Hmm. If somebody hits a home run to break the tie, I will jump up to my feet, put my hands in the air, and scream like a little boy on the playground. And then I will give the guys in front of me, and beside me, and behind me high fives. Right? No. Right? Of course not. That's not how that goes. The reaction wasn't calculated. It was spontaneous. It just erupted as a result of what was happening. This prayer from Paul is like a sudden eruption that happens because he's so excited about what's happening. He's thrilled about what he's thinking about. That's the reason that he gives. When I think about all this, I fall to my knees and pray. And so, I'm reading this text and I naturally wonder, what's he been thinking about? When I think about all this, I fall to my knees and pray. What's he been thinking about? Well, he's been thinking about God's plan for the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He's been thinking about God's call on his life. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He's been thinking about God's purpose in the world. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And the cumulative effect of those thoughts is to send him to his knees, here in verse 14, overwhelmed with the goodness and glory of God. Now, I talk with many people who want advice on prayer. They tell me they want to pray, they know they should pray, but they they just can't seem to get around to actually doing it. And the reason, I think, is actually pretty simple. Duck Dynasty doesn't send you to your knees in prayer. Unless, of course, you're a 13-year-old boy praying for some facial hair. (laughs) Now, I know that Duck Dynasty might not be your favorite show, so you can fill in the blank with whatever it is that occupies most of your attention when there's nothing else going on. Whether it's Duck Dynasty or something else, the point is still the same. If you're not spending any time thinking about God's plan for this church, then you're probably not praying for it. If you're not spending any time thinking about God's calling on your own life, then you're probably not praying for it. If you're not spending any time thinking about God's purpose in the world, then you're probably not praying for it. That's just my hunch, and you can feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong about that. But most people who have weak prayer lives are in that position because they have allowed other things to crowd out the great things of God from their minds. But here in this text, it isn't just the why behind Paul's prayer that's instructive for us, it's also what he prays. 
He doesn't just pray for God to just do a little of this and just do a little of that and just God, if you have time, just. He prays for strength, love, power, and glory. These aren't the things of trite little phrases. They're the things of big, bold prayers that you can base your life on. So he calls out to God and he lets us in on what he says. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. There's a kind of inner strength that Paul desires for us. And and if we're honest, when we first read this, it seems a little exaggerated, doesn't it? Right? I mean... He calls on God to aim His glorious, unlimited resources at giving us what? Inner strength? Really? Isn't there something more important probably that God could be aiming His unlimited resources at? God, with everything you've got, whatever it costs, make us strong on the inside? Clearly, Paul knows something that we tend to forget. Outer strength without inner strength will make you implode. Outer strength without inner strength will make you implode. On May 19th, we'll be recognizing our high school and college graduates... And one of my areas of research focus in the last several years has been the growing problem of students who graduate from high school and leave their faith behind. Somewhere between 65 and 80% of students who graduate from the youth group will abandon their claim to Christian faith by the time they're a senior in college. One of the main reasons that students walk away from their faith is because they lack the inner strength that comes from God. And this is actually true of mostly anyone who walks away from faith, whether they're a student when it happens or an adult. They have an external strength. They show up at everything. They contribute. They wear the t-shirt. They have a fish on the back of their car. Oh, they look strong on the outside. But they leave the faith. They implode because they don't develop the internal character and conviction that supports all of those external actions. They don't ever develop the inner strength that can carry them through the academic, the social, and the experiential challenges that they encounter along the way. They've been living on shallow phrases rather than Deep prayers. So it's actually not an overstatement when Paul prays that God would use His unlimited resources to develop inner strength in our lives. He knows that it's the difference between finishing the race and quitting after the first hurdle. What would that inner strength look like? Paul offers the picture of Christ taking up residence in our hearts. 
Verse 17, Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And here's the key. It's an ongoing action. Do do you see that? Do you see that little phrase? As you trust in Him. Trusting in Christ is an ongoing, continuous action. When we think about the idea of Christ making His home in someone's heart, you know this, it's usually in the context of of asking a child if he or she would like to invite Jesus into their heart. And we view it almost like a finish line. Like, yes! Glad that's happened. But this text doesn't picture the event as a finish line that needs to be crossed. It's more like a tree that gets planted and requires ongoing maintenance and care to keep it healthy and growing. If your faith is going to grow strong, then trusting in Christ can't just be an event that happened in your life some years ago. It has to be an ongoing reality. It's not that you trusted Christ X number of years ago, it's that you trusted Christ yesterday. You're trusting Christ today. And you will trust Christ tomorrow. That continuous ongoing trust is how God develops inner strength within us. And that is what keeps our faith from imploding in the future. But this isn't one of those quick prayers, so Paul keeps on going. Verses 18 and 19. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He prays for us to have the power to understand and experience the love of God. The love of God. The love of the one who at the beginning of this passage Paul had referred to as the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. He loves you. The love of Christ. The love of the Son of God who came into the world to redeem and restore the relationship that was broken between us and His Father. He loves you. And don't give in to the temptation to turn this into a bumper sticker. Smile. God loves you. It's not like that. The love of God is not a warm fuzzy that God feels when He thinks about us. It is a steadfast commitment to act on your behalf even at great cost to Himself. The love of God, I'll say that again, is a steadfast commitment to act on your behalf even at great cost to Himself. This is the love of God that Paul puts on display in the book of Romans when he says, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When you love someone, when you love someone, you act on their behalf even if it costs you Everything. That's the kind of love that God has for us. 
And Paul does not want us to trivialize this love with little smiley faces. He wants us to think about it, to understand it, and to experience it. God loves you, and He has acted and continues to act on your behalf, even at great cost to Himself. There's a height and a depth and a breadth to the love that God has for us. It encompasses us on all sides, in all places. Run as far away as you can, and you still can't outrun the love of God that will be there waiting for you. Dig a hole as far down as you can, and God will be there waiting for you when you hit the bottom. And of course, we, we won't grasp this truth fully, but we can continue to grow in our understanding and experience of it. To understand is to comprehend the significance or to grasp the meaning of something. To experience is then to participate in that thing personally. It's your call. You can accept it or you can reject it. It's your call. And when we're understanding and experiencing this great love, then, you see that word? Then, then he says, we will be made complete. A word that is sometimes translated as perfect or mature or whole. When we're understanding and experiencing this great love of God, then we will be made complete, perfect, mature, and whole with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Living on this prayer then is about strength, love, and power, but it's also about glory. Not our glory, but God's glory. Verses 20 and 21. Now all glory to God who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Prayers like these catch us up in the glory of God that extends back to the beginning of all things and forward as far as you can imagine into the future. When we hear Paul pray this to God, I can't help but be struck by that last phrase, through all generations. We can live on this prayer because it links us up with something that is so much bigger than our little tasks and ball practices and homework and paychecks and work projects. This prayer brings us face to face with the thing that matters most. The glory of God extending, spreading, and continuing through all generations. You want to know what matters? That matters. And this prayer concludes with that strong word of faith, Amen, which means, so be it, or make it so. And with that word, the aims of this prayer and all our prayers are finally left to God. He's the one who can bring these things to pass in our lives.
So I want to suggest one simple application this week. In your bulletin, each of you got a card that looks just like this right here. It's got this prayer on it. Because I don't want you to leave this prayer 2,000 years in the past. I want you to personalize it and bring it into the present. And so I'm asking each of you to use this card to help you pray this prayer for yourself this week. It will go like this. God, I pray that from Your glorious unlimited resources, You will empower me with inner strength through Your Spirit. I pray that Christ will make His home in my heart as I continue to trust in Him. Make the roots of my life grow deep into Your love and keep me strong. And may I have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep Your love is. Let me experience the love of Christ. Make me complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from You. I give You all the glory because You are able to accomplish infinitely more than I can ask or think. Be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And if you feel so inclined, you could also pray that for your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your boss or your teachers. But whether you use this prayer to get you started this week or some other prayer, we need to remember that strength, love, power, and glory don't come from living on little phrases. Strength, love, power, and glory come from living on big prayers. Let's pray. God, as we enter this time of invitation, I pray right now that we would be overwhelmed with Your goodness and glory. I pray that our trivializations of You and Your love would be knocked over and that You would begin to build a new and lasting home in someone's heart this morning. Give us courage to respond in whatever ways You're calling us. And we give You the praise and honor You deserve in this time. For we know that you are faithful to meet us wherever we are. Amen.